This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Mike Janung here, and beautiful sunny January day in Phoenix, Arizona, and I have a treat for you today. I have Julie T. from Iowa here in studio, and she's got a smile that lights up the room, and she's also uh, got a heart for prayer. Um, this, this woman is a prayer warrior extraordinaire, and so Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks. It's an honor. So we'll just get started and jump right in. And Julie, I'm just going to invite you to share your story and go for it. Okay, okay. Well, let me introduce myself first. Um, like Mike said, I'm from Iowa. And so I'm really enjoying the weather right now, let me tell you. So it's awesome. Um, I am um, a mother of four daughters, um, a grandmother of eight. Um, my husband and I... Um, we're married uh, 44 years ago next week. Mm. So, yeah, so we've been married a long time. Um, you know, um, let's just jump right in, I guess. Let's just jump right in. I want to kind of keep this part short so that we can talk about the meat. But I do want to give you a background of where I came from and what's been going on in my life. So my husband and I um, met in high school. Um, I was 16 years old. He was my first boyfriend, and um, we, you know, were inexperienced with, you know, relationships, obviously, and right away, um, our f relationship turned physical, and I, at that point, didn't know how to have boundaries. I didn't, you know, I just, um, it was just something that I kind of fell into. I, I went along with him because... It was just, like I said, I had no boundaries. So right away it gets physical. Within a year, I found out, find out I'm pregnant with um, our first daughter. Um, we, I was devastated. It completely destroyed my life. I had accepted Jesus as a 13-year-old. My parents were um, Sunday school teachers in our Presbyterian church, and they really um, were kind of rogue <laughs> Presbyterians, because they talked about Jesus, and they talked about needing Jesus in your life. They had had a real awakening by God back in the early 70s, and um, so they were um, all on fire for Jesus, and they were all about um, spreading good news. And so here we are in this Presbyterian church, and they, they start talking about Jesus, and one day I realized, you know, I never really personally said, Jesus, would you come into my life. So at the dinner table, then one night I just said, hey, mom, you know, I've never said this. So would you, um, you know, shall I 
you know, ask Jesus into my heart? And she says, well, yeah, yeah. Why don't you do that? So a real simple prayer. And um, that was it. So I just continued helping them with Sunday school and um, started, you know, walking with the Lord, you know, as best as I could at 13. And so then I, I can remember really wanting a boyfriend. For some reason, you know, you get your eyes on those things that you think are going to fill some need in you. And um, I can say that now. I didn't see it then. So I, I had this boyfriend come into my life, and, um, and that was um, you know, I thought an answer to prayer. And so, and, you know, who knows um, what God has in store for us. So, so we get into this relationship right away. It turns physical. I didn't know how to say no. I was very innocent, naive, naive about that stuff in some ways. And in other ways, we're exposed early to some things, right? And so there's a curiosity about it. So end up getting physical, end up pregnant at 17. Um, we get married. In one week, we were married, joined the church, and were baptized. Mm. And so we start off with a bang. So we go through life. Um, we're raising, um, we have two more daughters right away. Um, we're going through life, you know, just trying to um, do the best we could. Uh, there was a lot of rockiness. There was a lot of um, fights and struggles and um, you know, we were kids raising kids, basically. So let me fast forward now. So that's kind of the background of where we started. So I'm going to fast forward 25 years. And um, I thought things at that point were pretty good. The kids were older. Um, we were raising our granddaughter at the time. And John was working in a job um, situation, and we decided that he needed to do something different. He was um, driving a truck, and we wanted him to get back, you know, get off the road. We found a terminal job in Illinois, so we start um, preparing to move. So we get over there, um, and I've got my granddaughter, and it's just he and I and my granddaughter. And um, I immediately fall into um, depression, which I had struggled with quite a bit. Um, even as a kid, I realize now I had anxiety and depression that I was dealing with. So fell into a deep depression. I had lost all my contacts. My family was back at home. All of my, our kids were back at home in Iowa. And um, John was very consumed with his job. And so, and he would get kind of frustrated with me because I wasn't happy and cheerful and loving life at that point. I was suffering some, from severe social anxiety because I was in this um, town where I didn't know anyone. And the two people that he knew at the new job had talked about, you know, really happy that I was coming and can't wait to meet me. But when I got there, they were like cold to me. And so that sent me deeper into depression. So it was just me and my granddaughter hanging out every day, um, just trying to get through. Well, after three months of this, I couldn't take anymore. I was dying inside, and John wasn't helping. He was so, you know, busy, consumed with his job, um, enjoying it, loving it, couldn't understand why I wasn't happy. Um, so I ended up telling him, I got to go back. We just got to go back. I got to be back with my family, with the kids. And he says, okay. So he was willing to leave his job to come back to Iowa, but we decided he had a contract, so he had to stay there for another year. So um, we were used to, he was a trucker before, so we were used to long periods of separation. Mm. 
um, he would be out all week or two weeks, three weeks sometimes at a time, and then he'd come home. So I figured, okay, I'll move back to Iowa. We'll see each other. We were four hours apart, so we'd see each other on the weekends, and that would work out okay until he was able to come back and live back in Iowa with me. So that was the plan. Along that time period, I started having some wonderments about what was happening at his job. He talked about this one woman a lot, and red flags were going up completely, just total red flags. I thought there's something inappropriate about this. He's, they're too personal. He's talking too personally with her. So um, I started praying about it. Um, and I started asking God, what's going on? And I even remember standing in the kitchen talking to my dad. I was living with them at the time. And I talked to my dad and I said, Dad, I just, if I didn't know better, because, you know, we were, we were sweethearts from high school. I mean, we were the only one we'd ever been with was each other. And so I just couldn't fathom it. But I said, if I didn't know better, I would think that John's having an affair. I started seeing signs like um, he started taking better care of himself. All of a sudden, he started worrying about how white his teeth were. I found a little bottle of teeth whitener in the, the bathroom at our place in Illinois. And um, he started worrying about what he looked like. He started going out and buying himself clothes, which he'd never done before. And so I started seeing these signs, and I thought, something's up. So, and it was like, you know, a little voice was telling me, you know, there's something wrong here. So I started praying, and I said, Lord, if he's, if something's wrong, if he's having an affair, please show me. Just, just let me know somehow. And within a month, it all came out. I had visited with my oldest daughter. We were visiting back in Illinois with him for the weekend, and I started seeing other signs, and I found a voicemail from this other woman. So I confronted him, and he admitted it, and I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed for hours, and I couldn't believe it. I was in total shock that he would do that. It just was never on my radar until that summer. So that was the first sign of trouble. That was the first sign. But I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't know what was happening with him. I didn't realize he was living a double life. I just didn't until that moment. And then I realized how good of a liar he was. He'd always had problems with truth issues. We'd always had problems with that. He would lie about things that were, you know, not even that big of a deal. He would just lie about them, just to lie about them. He kept very guarded. But I was so naive. I didn't understand. I didn't know what was going on. So that was the first sign of trouble. We kept moving on. You know, I just kept walking forward. I committed to him, so I forgave him as best as I could. But let me tell you, it was rocky. There was a lot of fights. There was a lot of arguments. There was a lot of coldness in his heart. Did he walk away from the other woman then? I did. I made or I um re- I made a request basically. I made a actually it was a directive. You you have to walk away from her. I will not stay in this relationship if you don't walk away. And he said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah. I never meant she knows I've never meant to to divorce you. She knows that." And so it's like, "Okay." So, he said he walked away. He said he ended it. And so, but he stayed in the job because he's there for another few months. So, um as I, you know, thought about it, I thought, okay, I'll stay with him. I'll stay committed to him. I felt 
just like I was going to show him unconditional love, even though I was a bleeding mess. Um, I wanted to stay. I wanted to honor our vows. I didn't want to destroy the family, you mm-hmm. know. I didn't want our kids to have to suffer for the decisions that we were making. And I trusted God. I knew. I knew God could change things. I knew that he could redeem whatever we brought to him. And so um, I just stayed in there. And I have sometimes this propensity to bury things and just kind of like tuck it down and just keep moving forward. I think a lot of women are like that. You know, we just, we do what we have to do. We put ourselves last a lot of times. We take care of our kids. We take care of our grandkids. And we forget that the most important person that we need to take care of first is ourselves. We have to have the oxygen mask on first Mm -hmm. if we're going to help anybody else. You can't keep giving out of an empty bucket, which is what I tried to do, you know, for, for so long. So let me go forward um, to what happened next. Um, We continued on. I started searching out whatever I could about, you know, affairs and why they happen and did as much research as I could find and tried to do healing on my own. We never sought out counseling. I never sought out even counseling for myself. We just tried to keep marching forward. I prayed a lot and asked God to, you know, to intervene, to um, to help us, to heal us. Um, and we continued on for quite a while. And so then the underlying problem, and this didn't happen until um, 15 years later, the underlying problem was finally brought to light. And that happened in a way that... Um, this time the wounding, the, the first betrayal was as horrible as it was. It was horrible. It was a betrayal. It was devastating. It was traumatic. Um, but the next event that happened completely blew my world apart. It not only um, was devastating and traumatic, but it was a personal privacy violation. Um, on our anniversary, our 40th anniversary, I found out about this complete um, crossed boundaries. He crossed my boundaries in a way that violated my personal privacy. And I was horrified and I was shocked and I didn't even know how to handle it. By this time I had been seeing a counselor for a few years working on my codependency, working on the reason why I was always operating out of an empty bucket, not taking care of myself, not putting myself in a place where I could be loved and cared for by God. And um, just being able to be the person who he created me to be, actually. And so I was still operating out of an empty bucket, but I started working on that with a counselor. So I went to my counselor and the next day after this discovery, And um, she helped me work through it. She was, I think, as shocked as I was Mm -hmm. because she had known us for several years. And and so this was such news to take in for her. So I limped around for weeks, um, a walking shell of a person. I never knew somebody could do that, somebody who I trusted 
who I loved with all my heart, who we had worked through all of these other problems the last 15 years. And we'd gotten to a place where we were pretty happy. We had some issues, you know, here and there, but um, we were doing life and I thought we were being fairly successful at it. The marriage seemed to be better. We still were a little bit rocky, but we had some, you know, ground gain. We'd been married for 40 years by this time. And that was a huge milestone in my life. And um, so this new behavior com- came completely out of left field, just just shocking. So much of that time period is still a blur. I, I don't remember details very well. Um, I realized looking back that the trauma had really affected my brain. It had really affected my mind. Um, I was living in shock for quite a while Mm. after that. So during that time period, I'm looking, researching, trying to figure out, okay, trying to figure out what to do. And I stumbled upon the term sexual addiction. And all of a sudden, everything started clearing up for me. I realized that's what we were dealing with, that John had been struggling with that for 40 years. Mm. which led to ultimately an affair and then ultimately to violating my privacy in a way that nobody should have their viol- you know, their privacy violated. So, yeah, so I did all the research I could. He went started going to our church, and he ro- sought help at Celebrate Recovery. Um, he was doing all the steps that he needed to do. Um, I felt completely alone. I had no friends at this time. I had nobody to talk to other than my counselor. I talked to my kids and my counselor, and that was it. And I had acquaintances, but I didn't have a 3 a.m. friend to talk to about this. So I was completely alone, and I sat in my corner a lot, just praying, crying out to God, asking him what to do, asking him what we should do, asking him to lead me to where I needed to go. So um, I stumbled across um, the Blazing Grace website. Um, early on. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at your videos, Mike, and I'm realizing that this guy gets it. (laughs) He totally understands. And he's willing to call it for what it is. And he's willing to be open about it and be vulnerable. And so that gave me courage. And so um, after nine months of John doing his work, um, me doing my work with my counselor, I'm trying to heal, he's trying to heal. Um, All of a sudden, um, we realize through another personal privacy violation, that all of those nine months that he'd been supposedly working on his recovery, he wasn't. Mm. He was going through the motions of the step process, expecting some magical thing to happen, where if he did it often enough and if he worked hard enough at it, that somehow, you know, it's all just going to go away. And in fact, during that nine months, he got worse. He got absolutely worse. So at that point, I knew we were dealing with spiritual warfare. It wasn't just, um, you know, a a mind situation. That was part of it. But it was also a spiritual situation. And the night that I remember standing there talking to him, asking him for all of the evidence that he had, because I knew he had contraband somewhere, and it was probably locked in his closet, um, I stood there praying for 20 minutes, just nonstop asking God to come in, you know, rebuking the enemy, 
Um, after 20 minutes, he finally handed me the key to his contraband, and I found his journal, found out that more lies that he'd been telling me mm. all those years, that he hadn't ended the affair when he said he did. Um, so many things that were just complete falsehoods. So once again, uncovering that betrayal, it, it like the truth comes out a little at a time a lot of times with this addiction. And so for the wife, for me, it was it, it actually caused uh, post-traumatic stress disorder because it was trauma over and over and over and over again. I didn't see it that way at first. So, um, but once I realized it was trauma, then we could deal with it on a little different basis. So that's when we came to the retreat. Uh, it was within um, a year, I think, after that discovery. I'm still searching. And we came to the retreat at Easy Oak Ranch with Blazing Grace Ministries. For the first time, I was able to tell my story to women who understood. I was able to um, hear from you, you know, that this wasn't okay. It wasn't my fault. That... Um, that God, you know, seeking God first and, and putting him first in even this was what was going to change everything. I left there with friendships from other women who I, I still talk to this day, to this day. And we have this bond that just is very deep. And so through that, I've realized that we are so much better together. We need each other for this. We can't get through this on our own that I needed women that I could depend on and that I could be completely vulnerable and honest with because we need to talk about this. This is everywhere. This sexual addiction I'm realizing after I've learned all this is everywhere. And we need safe people that we can talk to, that we can share our hearts with. That's what helped me with my healing process. And it was all, God brought them all to me. Every step of the way, he would bring these people to me and brought me into such a wonderful place that, that um, was able to start the healing process. So that's what started the healing process. We've continued on now for, it's been four years, three, or let's see, three from the retreat. We ended up going to a couple's retreat. More healing took place there. Um, and through different things that God brought us to, different um, classes that I took, that really spoke to my identity and who I was as a child of God, who I was as um, a wife, who John could be. And God let me see through his eyes who John really was, not the person that was being presented to me, but who he was created to be. So I worked through forgiveness. It's a long process, and I'm still working through forgiveness. You know, that's a huge portrayal. I'm still dealing a little bit with post-traumatic stress disorder. The panic attacks haven't, you know, have calmed down greatly in the past year. So, um, but it's a process. It's a journey. So um, that's kind of a really nutshell version <laughs> of my story. <laughs> well, thanks, Julie. And so our listeners know the retreat she's talking about. We have a wives four-day retreat that is for the wives of husbands who have issues with porn or sex addiction, and that's held in Beulah, Colorado, in a um, out-of-the-way, a mountain resort. Mountain retreat has just eight rooms. It's very intimate, and the only people who are, are there are those who are, are suffering just like you are, ladies. And then we have a couples retreat uh, for the men and the wives, for those who want to heal, and that they went to that three months later. So, Julian, the time we have left, 
let's say you're sitting across the table from a wife who's just bleeding her guts out. What would you say to her right now? The first thing I think I would do, maybe not say much at first, is to listen. I think that's the biggest thing that people need to do right now is to listen. Listen to each other. Listen to what's going on. And then I would probably tell her, this isn't your fault. And that you are worth more than that. That you deserve better. And that God has better for you. And that because of my story, there's hope. Mm -hmm. There's hope. My situation should have ended up in divorce, and it almost did. But God said, he brought me back from that and said, I can do this. I can heal you. I can redeem you. And from what I'm hearing from your story, it's critical to have a community of other women who get it and that they don't just sit around and with all that pain and anger and anguish and, and try and work through that on their own. Is that right? That's critical. It's vital to have safe people, safe, healthy people that you can talk to mm. and to be vulnerable with. So ladies, um, if you're listening, please do not, as Julia said, do not sit there and let this eat you up. We have uh, Sandy England who runs our facilitates our wives ministry she's available to you and we lead we she leads wives groups and we also have men's groups for those who who are struggling too so i look forward to we're out of time and i'll look forward to seeing you next time Do you wanna be free? blazing grace is a non-profit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.